uh, quite a few sore bodies now um, and also a few interesting haircuts after <laughs> after the hairdresser's not been open for uh, quite some time but now nah, it's been great to be back. Welcome to another Cricket Scotland podcast. I'm Jake Perry. And I'm Rosie Ryan. And it's beginning to look a lot like summer day. <laughs> it certainly is, isn't it? Uh, I mean, we'll gloss over the snow uh, last week, but the sun is shining today at least. The grounds are looking great. Announcements from the clubs are coming thick and fast. Contracted players are off furlough. Yeah, there's a mood of, of optimism around Scottish cricket we haven't felt for a while. Yeah, there certainly is. I think, uh, oh, it's, do you know what? It's great to see clubs that you know have been dormant for a while or squads or, or things like that that haven't been able to get out that are now getting out and getting training and especially when the weather's nice it's it's lovely seeing all the pictures on on twitter and things like that of, of grounds and looking seeing how lush they are um at the moment so yes it's, it's exciting it's exciting i'm excited for me definitely definitely that you're, you're looking Am I right in, in saying down the Zoom call here, you're looking a little bit tanned there, Rosie? Yeah, Jake. Um, do you know, funny you say that. Dumfries has been... I've got a lovely sunspot in my back garden and it's a solid 12 degrees outside, but the sunspot makes it feel like, you know, a good 17 and that is prime for, you know, socks and sandals and shorts weather in Scotland. Um, and that's, you know, that's that's the height of summer for us. So I've really just been um, trying to trying to get outside a little bit more and, and yeah. <laughs> I mean, a, a, a tan in April in Scotland, that's that's pretty good. So what else have you been up to since we uh, since we spoke last? Yeah, I guess, um, you know, clubs have, have, have started to get back up and, and running, as I said, and we've got All-Stars coming up, which is really exciting. Um, it's always an exciting time of year. It's great to see the, the five to eight-year-olds out running around. Um, it's like herding cats at clubs, so it's always it's always fab to see that and just see the, the fun that comes out and, and getting new people in cricket. You know, getting new people involved in cricket is always fabulous. Um, and then we've got Dynamos uh, for the first year running as well. So um, that's fabulous. And, and, you know, there's a few clubs that are also doing girls only uh, Dynamos, which is also super exciting. So I'm excited to see that run. Um, and then we've had the, the female only umpiring courses, uh, which was set up by the Cricket Scotland Match Officials Association. And, and we had uh, Sue... Redfern running that along with Inga Borg and it was just fabulous um, to have two female leads on that but it was uh, three evenings over three weeks and uh, I'm I'm hoping that my my umpiring has got a little bit better (laughs) has got a little bit better from it and um, but yeah it was it was fab and hopefully we can get some you know new officials coming through that pathway now uh, female ones so um yeah, a lot of exciting things going on, really, and it's all kind of it's all go at the moment. What about yourself, Jake? Yeah, likewise. It was great this week actually getting back into Cricket Scotland HQ at Ravelston. Um, first time since we'd actually recorded in there for International Women's Day last year, which was which was all a bit all a bit strange. But um, yeah, the guys were doing a 
an evening session uh, in the main hall they've been at Golden Acre uh, earlier in the day. But it was yeah, it was great to have that feeling of normality again. It's times like that that you really kind of realise how special things are that you uh, normally just take for granted. Well, we'll be hearing a number of uh, from a number of the players about the restart together with Shane Burger, the head coach, a little bit later on. But before that, you had a chat with author Richard Thomas, whose new book is out, Cricketing Life. Sounds very interesting. It was, yeah. Lots of interest for fans of Scottish cricket, as well as followers of cricket in general. Um, yeah, I had a great time talking to Richard about it the other day. Wee bit of Scottish cricket history. I'm, I'm in my element there. Um, but I began by asking him about the inspiration behind his book. Well, the, the inspiration behind the book, uh, Jake, was really, I suppose, my dad, really. My dad was, was quite an accomplished cricketer in, in South Wales. There's a nice sort of symmetry to what's my life and his life. And as much as I teach in Swansea University, my dad became a student in Swansea uh, 70 years ago this year, and he actually went on to captain the university cricket team. So he was a good cricketer, my dad. And... Um, I I started writing cricket uh, about cricket about you know 15 20 years ago just as a sort of hobby and and he always you know enjoyed reading what I'd written and he was always badgering me to to write a book and of course he was my dad he was always going to say that I I I wrote nicely but I think when other people sort of took a bit of an interest and I was approached by a commissioning editor from Reaction Books who said look I think this stuff we could turn this into a book so of course that was the impetus. And then I started writing and um, I had a, a good reason for to tr try to finish fairly promptly. My dad became quite ill. Um, he, he had cancer and it was clear he wasn't going to be around for too much longer. So I was very keen to try and finish the book so at least he could get to read it in draft. So um, my dad died um, about a year ago now. In fact, it, it, it's just about the time almost to the day what we're recording this, that his funeral was a year ago. Uh, we, only two people went, which is terrible because obviously we were in lockdown. But I, I just about managed to finish the book in draft a few weeks before he died. So I handed it over. Uh, he was delighted with that. Uh, I was imagining he was going to read it as a sort of, you know, yes, it's very nice. I really enjoyed it. What he actually did was quite a deep proofread on it. So I got a big long list of spelling mistakes and things that he was he was challenging so um but we had a bit of a laugh about that so so it was really nice that I was able to at least show him that it was a book and it was going to be a book even though he, he didn't actually live to see the publication of the book but um so my dad was the sort of inspiration behind it really and uh, uh, and not only because he taught me to love cricket but because he also introduced me to the writing about cricket. Um, so when I was about eight or nine, he, he gave me a book uh, called, quite an unimaginative title of a, for a book about cricket, called The Book of Cricket. And it was written by a man called Denzel Batchelor. And I read this book and it was full of these sort of um, black and white photos from a kind of Victorian and, and uh, Edwardian uh, age and um, just loved it. Just loved the way Denzel Batchelor wrote about cricket, um, and and so as well as enjoying the game, uh, and I just played not for very long. I wasn't very good, but I was you know very keen watcher and reader. It, it's the kind of words you know. It's it's the way that people write about cricket and the beautiful 
um, writers that it's attracted, really. I, I always think that of all the sports, I think cricket has the most elegant literature about it. I mean, it's probably got the most words, isn't it? But I think they're the most elegant words as well. So it was a book that I, I wanted to finish for that reason, but I also wanted to try and give a bit of a a 360-degree view of the game in as much as I wanted to sort of try and follow a, a, a sort of a loose chronology, but introduce along the way all of these kind of characters that I thought were interesting. And most often it was because they were interesting, not just because they were interesting on the field, but also had interesting backstories as well. Um, but I also wanted to sort of pay homage to some of these great writers, you know, that, that had sort of so enhanced my own enjoyment of the game. It's a wonderful concept. It's a joyous concept in, in many ways, as you say, looking at all of these different aspects of of cricket, the people that play it, but also the people that, that write about it. And it's a really interesting way of leading us through cricketing history. Uh, how did you come to choose your particular subjects? Well, I think, I mean, some of them kind of pick themselves. I think if you're writing any any sort of book that's that, that's sort of following a rough history, and I would say it is a rough history. I do stop off a couple of times. Um, I mean, there's one sort of fairly early sort of pause of the history where I talk about um, the administration of the game. It, it's probably more exciting than it sounds. Um, Lords, the MCC, Wisdom, the sort of evolution of those things. But, I mean, there's some people that pick themselves, don't they? I mean, you're always going to have people like WG. You're always going to have, you know, quite a weighty section on Bradman, I suppose. You know, uh, later on, Sobers and Viv Richards and these people. But I, I, I try to pick people that I, I was interested in. I mean, they're not obvious choices for some others. But I find that, um, for example, in the chapter that I, I write about WG Grace, I try to make the point that, you know, although he was this gargantuan figure in every sense of the word you know I mean he was so recognizable even to people who had no interest in cricket you know there was this other side to him you know he was he was a cheat wasn't he you know he was someone he was someone that, that kind of bent the rules to kind of suit himself he was someone who stretched this notion of amateurism to its absolute elastic limit with the kind of expenses that he took out of of cricket um but alongside W.G. Grace, you know, playing at the same time and someone who, who actually died in the same year was, was Australian uh, Victor Trumper, who was someone that enchanted me uh, the way that Denzel Batchelor had written about him. And he just looked like this kind of perfect hero. You know, he was um, modest. He was brilliant. He was self-effacing. Um, he was, you know, friendly, kindly looking man. Um died obviously very young in, in his 30s, but he, he seemed to be kind of everything in some ways that W.G. Grace wasn't. He was a slight-looking chap, but he didn't have any of those kind of murky bits around the edge of his character, perhaps, that W.G. had. So I try to sort of give this this kind of balance. And when I talk about people like Bradman and um, Wally Hammond as well, sort of make the point that these were huge cricketers you know these were the superstars of their era weren't they but there were these other sides to their character you know Bradman d difficult man to know you know not not particularly popular within his own team not particularly popular as a as an administrator for example I think Ian Chappell is on record as saying 
one of the reasons that World Series cricket started under Kerry Packer was because of Bradman's kind of intransigence as an administrator, you know. Um, Wally Hammond, you know, incredibly complicated personal life he had off the field. Um, very kind of moody man, you know. So I, I try to give some some balance to these, these big characters. I didn't want to just sort of make it a one-sided, you know, these are wonderful cricketers. I wanted to make the point these are wonderful cricketers. They may have flaws as people, but that's kind of, that's almost what made their superhuman cricketing feats even better, wasn't it? The fact that, um, and I think trying to make the point that cricket is this wonderfully inclusive game that, you know, it welcomes everybody, you know, heroes and villains. Everybody has a place in the big cricket story, don't they? They certainly do. And and as part of that inclusivity, of course, there are plenty of, of connections to Scottish cricket that you, you talk about too. Um, we'll talk about two of the, the big names a little later, but uh, there are plenty of other avenues that you discovered too. Yeah, there are. And I, I've been sort of doing a bit of work on one or two things at the moment, because this year, 19, uh, 2021, 100 years this year, Jake, since Glamorgan were admitted to the first class uh, game. And um, they had a they had a miserable first season, by the way. I mean, they, they won they won their first game against Sussex, played at Cardiff Arms Park, which is right in the shadow of where the Principality Stadium is uh, now, in, in the middle of Cardiff. Um, and the man who came within four runs of becoming Glamorgan's first ever centurion was a man called Jock Tate, who was born in Shetland, amazingly enough, who played uh, for Glamorgan. Uh, from about 1911 um, uh, 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 for Glamorgan. I also played football locally as well. Um, never never actually made a first-class century. That was the closest he ever came to it. And um, there's the, the Glamorgan won the game. They, they beat the sort of superstars of Sussex involving the Gilligan brothers and Morris Tate. A big shock win. They didn't win again that season, by the way, incidentally. Um, so it was a bit of a flash in the pan. Um but Jock Tate, you know, was was not out overnight. Uh, just it, poised there nicely in the nineties, just to go to a, a hundred the following day, and he was bowled by Morris Tate, different spelling, the great England medium pacer. And when he came off, he said, "You know, last night I was seeing it like a like a football, and this morning I was seeing it like a pea." Um, we we've all been there, haven't we, as <laughs> cricketers? <laughs> we've all been there. So Jock Jock Tate, you know, almost. I mean, I guess he still is is a legend for that, but almost became Glamorgan's first ever, uh, cent, you know, centurion, uh, scoring a hundred for the county. That's a wonderful story, and of course, uh, one other name that that jumps immediately from the page uh, for Scottish readers is that of of Douglas Jardine, uh, English icon. Bodyline captain, 32-33, but Scottish to his bootstraps and a really fascinating character too. A really fascinating character. I mean, I mean, I think it's, I, I think it's probably, we could say that he was a sort of Marmite character. I think not, not, he sort of divided opinion, didn't he? Uh, I think the people who played for him, particularly someone like Larwood, you know, absolutely kind of worshipped him, didn't they? Um, I mean, he was... He was someone that sort of strategized a win, didn't he? He he kind of plotted a way of winning against Australia in, in body line. It wasn't a case of just jumping on the ship, going across, taking what you felt was your best team and then hoping for the best. This was something that was allegedly kind of um, born 
from watching um, Nottinghamshire, um, Vos and, and Larwood, um, both able to sort of bowl very quickly, both able to get the ball to, to rear up. Um, and allegedly the kind of meeting where all of this was cooked up happened in the in, in the uh, Cafe Royal in London, um, where the, you can imagine these two Nottinghamshire miners turning up to speak to Jardine, of course, had been to Winchester College and Oxford University and, uh, you know, with all these kind of fancy ways. And and that's where they decided that, that Bradman particularly was, you know, liable to flinch against short pitch bowling. So they th- that's what they did. Um, one of the things, of course, about Jardine was almost the moment that he stepped off the boat in Australia, he began to antagonise uh, the, the locals. Um, he'd been there before, of course. When one of his um, one of his colleagues had remarked that uh, they don't seem to like you much over here, Mister Jardine, and uh, the, the 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 sort of removing the expletives, but the the, the reply came back, yes, it, it's mutual, you know. So he didn't like Australians. The Australians didn't like him, but he went across, and of course he wore his his Harlequin cap, which, which just drove them potty because it it just sort of spoke of this sort of. Um, different kind of cricket you know this sort of um th- this genteel sort of gentleman's game that that kind of didn't really resonate w- with the australian crowds but um yeah and it, and it, things like you know he wouldn't give his teams he wouldn't announce his teams to the to the local journalists i mean he just wound everybody up one one journalist said that if if he was the only man in a most popular man in australia competition he would finish unplaced so that that's that that's the depth of feeling that they had. But of course, a successful campaign, um, a huge diplomatic row, as we all know, um, and, and the prophetic words of his old coach at Winchester, Winchester, who was um, England all rounder, Rockley Wilson, wasn't it? When he heard that Jardine was going to be the captain, um, he said, "Well, we might win the Ashes, but we might lose a Dominion," and, and we almost did, didn't we? Um, that kind of antipathy is still there, isn't it? You know, uh, I mean, it really intensified over body line, but you could argue that, you know, that that, that um, Australia versus England contest, wherever it's played, has that extra bit of needle in it. And maybe we could put that down to Douglas Jardine, you know, 90 uh, odd years ago. Maybe that was down to him. Certainly. It's a, a character that's always fascinated me, you know, the, the contradictions in him. As you say, this this austere, this ultra-establishment persona, but someone who inspired this massive loyalty amongst his amongst his players, most of his players. Um, and it's interesting you mentioned the Harlequin cap uh, as well. When I was doing a bit of research uh, to, to to write about Jardine myself, I spoke to to John McCabe, who was Fionnick Jardine's partner, his his eldest daughter, and she had always said that he wore it absolutely deliberately to stoke up. The locals to 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 take the attention from his team and onto him, and so that that twinkle in his eye isn't often spoken about. No, and and it's funny because in the book actually I mention um, his daughter and her lovely memories of a, a lovely dad reading her Jungle Book, you know, as a child, and um, and there's another um, little bit in the book as well about, of course, during body body line there were a couple of serious injuries on the on the part of the Australians. Bill Woodfall, who was Australian captain, got hit under the heart, didn't he? Um, 
And Bert Oldfield, who was the kind of champion wicketkeeper, actually got hit on the head, fractured skull because of uh, the short pitch bowling. And, you know, what's not known is that um, Jardine visited Oldfield's wife and provided their two little girls with Shirley Temple dolls as gifts. Um, and, and you think, well, anybody who's capable of doing that, you know, is is a human being, aren't they? You know, we, we hear so much about Jardine being this sort of severe um, disciplinarian, very kind of um, efficient and cold with the opposition and, and sometimes with his own players. But uh, there was clearly more to him than that. You know, he was someone, I think, that was just fixated on this strategy and maybe that strategy you know, became too big in his mind uh, and maybe he just let that rule him a little bit. But he was capable, he was clearly capable of of kindness and uh, and so on, wasn't he? Yeah, certainly. And another name that you really bring to life in the book is another man uh, with, with Scottish connections, undoubtedly the greatest cricketer to have been born in Scotland, Archie Jackson. Here's a, a tragically short-lived story. Yeah, well, Archie Jackson born in Rutherglen, wasn't he? Um I mean, emigrated when he was only four, but I think I think to be honest, Jake, you can justifiably, you know, claim him as a Scot. He was there for the first four years of his life. Um, yeah, I mean, this was um, this was a sort of passing the baton, if you like, from from um, from from Victor Trumper to Archie Jackson. I see lots of similarities between the kind of style, the carefree style, the fact that they were seemingly such nice people as well such modest kind nice men as well um so archie jackson was born in 1909 which is the the, the year after bradman so they were contemporaries um but uh, archie jackson scored 160 against england in a test match and as denzel bachelor wrote about him you know when archie jackson was at the wicket nobody was watching bradman I mean that's that's quite something, isn't it? I mean he clearly had the style. He clearly had that sort of beautiful aesthetic kind of elegance uh, as a batsman that perhaps Bradman didn't have. But as you rightly say, he was someone whose constitution was weak. He was um, he died of consumption uh, very young. He was twenty four when he died, um, twenty three maybe. He he. He died actually just during the Bodyline series, and he sent uh, a telegram to Larwood, uh, an opponent, of course, saying, "You know, um, well done. You know, great bowling." Um, Larwood absolutely, apparently, treasured this telegram from Archie Jackson to the end of his days. So, a tragic, tragic, tragic figure, but um, someone that you look back, and I look back, and I thought, "Cool, wouldn't it have been good to watch him bat?" I mean, he was clearly. He was clearly something. I mean, when you when you've got someone like Denzel Bachelor, who had obviously watched an awful lot of cricket and an awful lot of Bradman, and you've got someone saying, "Well, this guy's better." Actually, um, now what? Imagine what he would have done if he'd lived. I mean, he would have been he would have out Bradman, Bradman, wouldn't he? Um, so I, I mean, I think I think he was he was a wonderful player, and I, and again, a bit like Trumper, someone that I was sort of drawn to because they just seemed like nice people you know they seemed what i what i would like to see in sportsmen you know they were modest they were kind they they were they were generous um just seemed like a nice guy uh, uh 
only the good die young, I, su- I suppose. Yeah, I mean, as you say, when the Australians came over in 1930, it was it was Jackson that drew the crowds, that drew the press attention. And it's interesting, I wonder how Bodyline might have turned out had had Jackson lived, had he been able to play. It's interesting, isn't it? How, how could, would he have coped with it? I mean, Brad, it's it sort of... I wouldn't say it completely nullified Bradman, but it certainly kept him quiet. He, I mean, he had an average season for him, didn't he, or, or, or a series for him. But how would have um, Archie Jackson dealt with it? You're absolutely right. I mean, these are these delicious kind of things that you can spend a lot of time just imagining how, how he would have dealt with it. But I think what we can say is however he would have dealt with it, he would have done it with great dignity and style, you know? Well, there are lots of other points of interest for Scottish fans too, but we don't want to give away too many of your sequences now. But the thing about the book, uh, as I said before, is the span of time that it covers and also the range of personalities that it covers too. What are your favourite aspects of it? I think the favourite aspects of it were, um, I think, delving into some of the rich prose that's been written about cricket. I mean, being able to reproduce some of that and quote it. Um, I mean, as long as you're attributing where these words come from, I mean, you've got a bit of free license to do that in a book, haven't you? So lots, lots of footnotes, lots of um, sort of directions to reading that people might not have come across before. Lots of references to old newspaper articles and archives and things like that, which which I guess because of my access to in my job as a, as a lecturer about journalism I you know I was able to to look at but I've also tried to give people some ideas uh, and stimulate some other reading you know what 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 it would give me a big kick I think is if someone read this book and thought gosh that's a book I'd not heard of and then they go off and have a look at the original book so because there's so many beautiful so so many beautiful authors so many lovely words written about at cricket and two Favourite ones are, are Scots, actually. Uh, one of them is called Raymond Robertson Glasgow, who was born in Murrayfield in Edinburgh. A play for Somerset, um, 70-odd games for Somerset, took about 400 first-class wickets. But but his real contribution to cricket was as a, as a journalist and a, as an, a writer. Very um, sort of man who suffered with mental health difficulties most of his life, indeed, took his own life, actually, in the mid-60s, very sadly, but wrote the most beautiful stuff about cricket. I've got a little section that I was just going to to read um, from a book. Uh, it's only a, a few lines. It's called Cricket Prints from, from, from the 40s. And he, uh, Raymond Robertson Glasgow is, right, is talking here about Frank Woolley, the, um, the great Kent batsman. He says, Frank Woolley, was, Frank Woolley was easy to watch, difficult to bowl to, and impossible to write about. When you bowled to him, there weren't enough fielders. When you wrote about him, there weren't enough words. In describing a great innings by Woolley, and few of them were not great in artistry, you had to go careful with your adjectives and stack them in little rows like pats of butter or razor blades. In the first over of his innings, perhaps, there'd been an exquisite off-drive, followed by a perfect cut and an effortless leg glide. In the second over, the same sort of thing happened, and all your superlatives had already gone. The best thing to do was to presume that your readers knew how Frank Woolley batted and used no adjectives at all. It's lovely, isn't it? 
and 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 all of his writing is like that. This beautiful, sort of thoughtful, interesting, um, just sort of deft, light sort of you know nothing too kind of, but but just just it it just sort of rolls over you, doesn't it? Uh, it's like it's like having a lovely sort of neck massage, you know. It just just makes you feel better about the world when you read it. Um, and, and the other, the other great uh, Scottish cricket writer was a man called Ian Peebles, who actually played for England, didn't he? He was a leg spinner, played in the twenties, played for Middlesex. Um, and Ian Peebles wrote a number of books. One of I think the best of which is called Spinner's Yarn. Um, and in Spinner's Yarn, he talks very fondly actually about one of the great all-round cricketers of all time a man called Aubrey Faulkner who was a as a South, a South African all-rounder um sort of turn of the century um early part of the 20th century and Aubrey Faulkner had a cricket school in London uh and um Ian Peebles sort of honed his leg spin at this cricket school and he writes about the fact that the ceiling was very low and of course, as a leg spinner, you weren't able to get that kind of loop. You because every time you kind of give it too much air, it would smash all the lights over over the over in this low ceiling. But he he talks about um, a falling out that he had with Aubrey Faulkner, um, and he said, you know, he, he, they didn't speak for a couple of years, and then he was on the way to a test match in in a taxi, and he saw Aubrey Faulkner in in a in a bus queue. One of the world's great all-rounders in a bus queue, looking very sort of dis dishevelled, down on his luck. So he stopped. They chatted. They kind of made it up. And um, he said he didn't see him after that. Not shortly afterwards, again, Aubrey Faulkner, a man you know prone to to depression and so on, took took his own life. And and when he went to visit his widow, Ian Peebles went to visit his widow. She said, "Look, he'd long lost interest in anything." But every day he used to read the papers to see how you'd done in the cricket. And I thought it was a just such a lovely, sad story. But, I mean, cricket is full of those things, isn't it? But um, he, again, a bit like Raymond Robertson, Glasgow, um, beautiful way with words, you know, lovely, lovely kind of style with words. I'll just, there's just one little section he is talking about. Um, uh, he was talking about uh, a, a trip down to Brighton when they were staying overnight. Uh, and, you know, the, there was obviously a bit of a budget for entertainment. And he says, um, uh, it's staying in the hotel. There was a dog which somehow fell six stories down the lift shaft to emerge like cannon shot and complete three dizzy laps of the lounge before disappearing into the night. It turned up next day a mile away, thoughtful but unscathed. Such simple pleasures, allied to a plentiful intake of champagne at the club's expense, kept everybody happy on and off the field. What, what a way to earn a living. That's what I thought when I read that. What a game. Absolutely. Richard, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you, uh, talk to you this morning. Um, tell us how and when can we get a copy of your book? It's available online in all sorts of uh, places. J just Google Cricketing Lives, a characterful history from pitch to page. It's by Reaction Books and it's launched on the 17th of May. Richard Thomas, as he says, Cricketing Lives, a characterful history from pitch to page is available from next month onwards, published by Reaction Books. Scotland men return to training after Easter. 
bringing an end to the long period which the squad were in furlough. Jake went down to the National Cricket Centre to see how they were getting on. Carl, it's been the longest and the strangest of winters, but uh, what's it like to be back? Yeah, it's great to be back. Uh, I've already already played a week of cricket non-stop, so I've had played in the snow, played in the rain, had a bit of everything already. Um, w- worn a pair of bowlers bowling boots as well, which was interesting. Uh, but yeah, great to be great to be back in, in training with the with the guys. And as you say, we've had all the seasons so far in just the the last few days. Um, so a mixture of indoor and and outdoor training. So what's been the the routine so far? What kind of thing have you covered? Yeah. Um, well, we do quite a bit of work at the Sports Institute, uh, and that's been that's been fantastic, amazing facility there, like 4G service. I think I think that's what they call it, but it's, it's basically grass, really. Uh, and we're able to do do plenty of fielding. The bowlers can do some bowling, and then in the evening times is our only slot at the moment to make sure we get training. Thankfully, it's been about minus four outside. Well, that's what it's felt like. So we've actually been able to get some some cricket in, and then in a Tuesday morning we'd do some training at Harriet so um, the facilities there are great so it's been yeah it's been pretty full-on actually but it's been great to be back yeah um, ecstatic to be honest it's nice to have that soreness in the morning again and and just generally excited to be about the boys you know there's there's it's nice isn't it it's been locked up and obviously it's nice to be at home for a while obviously travel a lot but it's nice to actually be back and actually be busy and, and busy with cricket which is excellent it's been a long time for everyone, not only in cricket, but um, look, the boys have put in a good shift the last sort of week and a half, getting getting back to cricket. And uh, Nick Harris and C is pushing us nicely. Obviously, a lot of us in different shapes and sizes at the moment, but um, look, we're all all in a good position and ready to take on whatever whatever the season brings. Uh, well, today was our, our third training day of the week, uh, so we had a, a nice early early morning gym session with Nick put the boys through their paces, uh, which was nice, and then followed up by a, a fielding and a, a bowling session um, later this morning after that. Finished off with a, a nice little fun comp there at the end with the boys. Yeah, some really interesting, innovative things that Nick does with the, with the S&C. Yeah, I think with these things you have to try and keep it, keep it as fresh as possible. Obviously we need to put in the hard work, but alongside that if we can keep it sort of enjoyable as possible. And it was good to see, good to see a bit of competition there towards the end. We spent quite a lot of time at Orium, um, you know, doing a lot of bowling and fielding um, and running and stuff like that. Um, and a bit of batting indoors at MES. Um, and then I think we're hoping to get outside shortly, um, which will be nice. It's obviously the season builds closer. So, but yeah, no, it's been a lot of, you know, a lot of fitness and, uh, and running and stuff like that. So, but all the boys uh, seem to have come back in good shape. So, yeah, we're all enjoying it. Good to be back on our feet and getting some activity done, um, but yeah, I'm enjoying it. Um, it's been only a couple of weeks now, um, just getting back into action. But a good facility up at Orium, um, the Sports Scotland Institute. So we we're in the big dome, so we managed to get our bowling loads done there with a the long run up, which is quite good and useful. Um, and then we've been indoors um, here, uh, do some batting drill works and stuff. So it's been good, yeah. Um, indoor does does play its part and obviously it's nice you get that extra as you get your volume whereas progression into outdoor now probably perfect where where you're looking for that grass wicket test the technique again whereas indoor you can get away with 
with lack of it at times but um, yeah looking forward to that challenge again and of course Scotland being Scotland we did get some snow last week to uh, to train in yeah um, that was interesting the fielding in the snow and, and the running sessions in the snow were, were particularly horrible um, but that's what that's what we do don't we I mean that's the way we train and if you can't do it in that then when, when we get some sunshine it's, it's even more enjoyable kind of been probably as everyone with lockdown thinking of lots of new ideas and ways to get better so it's been nice just coming here last last week especially and just try kind of the ideas that I've been having sitting down um, not doing too much so that, that was my priority first week to see what what would work what wouldn't and now just trying to get it into my game um, which has been really successful so far so hopefully it'll keep working. So how easy is it to to restart I mean as you say you've been keeping keeping the fitness levels going mm-hmm. and so on but to have professional sports shut down in the way it has in, in terms of access to training as well as access to fixtures. Yeah. What's the priority in getting going again? You know what, it's not as hard as I thought, like even first training session back, like I, I wasn't very good but I thought it was going to be a lot worse. Um, so the priority really is just just getting back to where, almost where you are mentally um, and and I think the first couple of weeks will be really exciting because everyone's going to see each other but then when it gets back to about week three and four actually getting into the processes of looking forward to games and, and getting better that way rather than, than just kind of being happy, happy to be back I think it's going to get a lot more serious and more competitive pretty quickly To be honest it has been frustrating for not for myself for the rest of the lads as well um, the amount of games we've missed um, because of the pandemic but we managed to keep ourselves motivated keeping fit and trying to do as much as we can even though we're not training uh, in the environment we're used to so we just go out for a 5k jog or do some fitness work at home so that's the main thing that's kept me motivated knowing that we, we are going to be back so I don't want to be rusty I want to be a little bit active before we get back into training so that's what kept me going I'm pretty sure the same same with the other lads as well yeah I think you know I think everybody's fitness levels are actually probably higher than they ever have been in a sense of you know when when cricket's full-on there's actually not a great deal of time to work on your SNC um, so that's been a you know obviously we couldn't bat or bowl in lockdown and stuff but you could still run and gym and stuff like that um, so I think it's more just like you know speaking personally has been you know, really trying to concentrate on the on the cricket skills and that side of things. Um, and obviously, you know, you're keeping up with your SNC and we're all doing that. Um, but as the season, you know, season's drawing closer, you know, I think the, the emphasis, on, uh, emphasis on the cricket skills now is really, you know, taking focus. We want to be trying to get ourselves ready for whatever comes our way this season. And it could be, you know, games popping up here and there when more restrictions get lifted or, or us travelling. Um, so. I think it's just important for us to get ready the best we can, get back, but build up slowly um, and just, you know, get into the best position possible, following up hopefully to a World Cup at the end of the year. Priority is just kind of keeping control of the controllables, keeping on top of your fitness and stuff and keep bowling balls down at the park if you can. Um, and then when you get back, you kind of no rush, no, what's, uh, no rush whatsoever. And Shane and Nick and all that have been very good with that and just ease, easing us back into it. Um, but it's, the main thing is like not playing any games. It's just kind of keeping that motivation throughout, knowing that when you do come back, you don't want to be playing catch up. Um, and I think this time off kind of made me realise how much I miss playing cricket and how much I, like I'm never going to take it for granted. Like you know, you love putting on the blue shirt and um, you know, you never take that for granted. And you just want to be back playing, do anything for it. It's been a while since we've played a game, and you just want to do everything you can to 
to be back on the park with all the boys. So it's kind of um, uncharted territories, really. Uh, I guess we sort of go back to the, the basics and fundamentals as best we can um, right at the start, but uh, the coaching staff are very quick to uh, get us working on quick bowling yesterday already, so sort of third batting session in, so it gets the... Uh, gets the juices flowing I guess and it gets you on your toes and um, in, some, in many respects it actually makes you forget about all the, the uncertainties you have because you just don't want to get hit in the head so uh, it, it makes it interesting uh, and you know you can you can come out of it two ways you really get into it or or oh, I'll just I'll get back into it a bit more next week so um, you can see the two sides of the, the battle there but um, yeah, I guess starting with the fundamentals, making sure we're doing things right. Uh, and um, yeah, I guess we don't get ahead of ourselves sometimes as well. So, um, But I, th I actually thought it was a really good session because they took us out of our comfort zone. Get out of your comfort zone, go and then crack on. And um, what, what we actually said to the group last week already is just believe in what you, what you do. Don't, don't, you don't need to question yourself at all. You know, just go out there and express yourself and enjoy it. And it's amazing. 14, 15 months or whatever it is since our last competitive game, guys are out there smack, smacking it in the third, third or fourth session. And in those 14, 15 months, I mean, part of your makeup as a professional sportsman is to look for the positives in, in situations. So have there been positives in that, that time that we've had? Yeah, I guess it's given lots of people a chance to reflect, doesn't it, and see see where they're going with their career, how they can develop themselves further. It's probably given some people an opportunity to think um, outside and away from the game as well of how, how they can in improve their lifestyles perhaps or actually just realise what's important in life sometimes, you know, because we can get so wrapped up in cricket sometimes. that uh, And it's great that we do uh, and we really care, but... You know there is a life outside of cricket, so just make sure you appreciate that. And I think that's that's a, maybe a positive and how people can can reset themselves sometimes and just just focus on um, you know what can what can be important for you and, and and a way forward. So it's given guys, it's refreshed guys in many ways, and it's kept them eager to to continue and and, and want to improve even more. Now it makes you appreciate. Uh, spending time with other people I'm you know I like sneaking away and playing golf by myself and maybe with a few different people but very small groups and even just missing being around the dressing room you know going for a beer down the road with your mates it's it's the small things in life that you miss rather than you know the the other things like flashy cars and stuff like that so I think it puts a good perspective on on things and I've come back um, you know with a real determination to get back to where I want to be which is you know, seem to be one of the best T20 cricketers in the world, and I've got a long way to go now. I've, you know, fallen down the pecking order a lot with with COVID and seeing all the different teams playing around the world. So, I've got a long way to get back to where I was 13, 14 months ago. And to be honest, I'm just looking forward to getting stuck in, doing the hard yards, and being a being amongst the team. It's almost like having an off season, isn't it? It's almost like being back as a kid, and you get that excitement of oh, first first session. Yeah, there's some rust, but you kind of you get through that pretty quick. Um, you kind of you get your your skills back in a sense. You get that quickness of the sh the short ball, the the slower balls. You kind of you get used to that again. Um, there is it does take three, four, five sessions just to to eke out that rust. But you know that's what it's all about, isn't it? You, you're professionals. You kind of you can't emulate it at home. It's impossible to emulate it at home. You don't get it without without training. So it is. It's nice to have that rush back when you 
you get the first short ball, but it always, it always happens. And of course, the prospect of some competitive cricket, hopefully on the not too distant horizon, and of course, a massive goal in the T20 World Cup at the end of the year. Yeah, I mean, as soon as you hear the word cricket again, it's exciting. Even club cricket, any cricket at the moment, just to be able to get back on the park would be exceptional. I mean, obviously, it's now been probably, what, close on nine months without playing a competitive fixture. So, I mean, even competitive club cricket would be a bonus right now. So, even hearing the word cricket being mentioned in a schedule is, is pretty, pretty exciting. Yeah, I think, you know, all going well, there's a, there's a lot to look forward to this year. Um, as a player, obviously a World Cup is a, is a that's, that's the pinnacle and that's where you want to be. So I think before that as well, we're, we're hopeful of getting some cricket in. Um, so it looks like it could be, could be quite a busy year, which is great, um, after obviously quite a, a quiet year last year. We've got to look at this year as um, take each game as they come, but plan as best as we can at the same time. So. We know there's a World Cup at the end of the year to, to play in. Um, it's not often uh, these things come around. Uh, ironically, we've got potentially three in three years, but you know that's for us that's really good. We don't play consistent amount of games, and we've we've now got a schedule that's going to allow us to do that and be full-time cricketers. And I'm really excited to see how good we can get as a group because you know the last time we had a good run of cricket was probably back when we played England we played England and then we played Pakistan and then it went across to play Holland and Ireland and what a you know four or five weeks of cricket that that was and how well we played then and then you know you take your standard eight weeks off ten weeks off till the next game so we're not going to have that we're going to have game after game after game so we're going to need a really big squad we're going to need a talented squad which we have and there's just going to be more and more opportunities for each player in that squad from you know the, the starting 11 to the, the full 20-man squad. That's what you know, is keeping us all motivated throughout that time is you know, when we do come back, we've got a big year. Um, there's no kind of, oh, maybe we've got stuff on, maybe we don't. We do have a massive thing at the end of the year, so that's kind of keeping our motivation levels high and, and something to stride for, to do well personally, but more importantly, to do well uh, as a collective and get through into the, the main World Cup. and. Um, pull off a couple of surprises like we normally do. Yeah, look, there's a lot to look forward to. Um, it's been a little bit of a rocky start for me personally. I nicked off to a short wide one in club cricket on, on Sunday. So there we go. That's, that's the nature of the game, isn't it? But um, I'll also say I also threw and I also took three wickets. So no one would expect that from me. So I'm pretty happy with my uh, couple of days run out. But look, there's a lot. There's a lot to look forward to. Uh, T20 World Cup towards the back end of the year. Hopefully plenty of cricket leading up to that, but I know Cricket Scotland are doing everything in-house to make sure we play as much internal cricket in Scotland to make sure we have good co competition. So uh, the boys will be rearing. I've got no doubt that they'll be firing when the time's time comes. Well, Shane, last time uh, Rosie and I spoke to you in South Africa, wondering how you were going to get back to Scotland at the time, I remember. Um, good to be back. Oh, it's really good. Uh, it's amazing how time flies, actually. You know, you're there sitting in South Africa wondering how you're going to get back, what it's all going to be like, uh, what are the guys up to, what are they doing? And then you get back into it, you go through that process, and before you know it, there's two weeks of training done, and, um, and we're in a really good space. So it's wonderful to be back, and I'm really excited about what potentially might lie ahead for us. You know, it's a big year, it's, it's a World Cup year for us, so we, the boys are really focused in you know, uh, in getting their minds right for that. And, um, and I'm personally really excited, along with the other staff members. That's the second week of training just completed. What's been your assessment of it all so far? 
Yeah, it's been interesting because, you know, you're so desperate to get back into training, but you've got to be very mindful that the guys haven't done a hell of a lot for the last three weeks or three months rather. Um, So the build-up phase is really important. And and, and where I am as a coach is I want to always push them. And what you find in this group is the work ethic is unbelievable. So it's also a balancing act of trying to make sure that we don't um, go too quickly too soon. Um, so it's also holding the guys back a little bit and, and making sure we cover a lot of the fundamentals and the basics and get the real foundations right before we can move on. And, and, and what I found with this group is, is they're very, very quick learners. They're very quick to pick things up. They, are, um, they adapt to, to different environments really, really quickly, um, which is great, you know, because with us traveling around the world, with us going into different conditions, we almost want that from the group. Um, but we've just had to hold them back, especially this week when we've seen that the bodies have started getting a bit sore, more sore, um, a little bit quickly. Um, and, and so, so Dean had to tell me today just to, to take the, the foot off the gas a little bit. And, uh, and we did that. And, and I'm really happy with where we are after two weeks of training. Um, but next week, we're going to go full time outdoors, which will be great. Um, so out of the, a lot of the halls that we've been using and, uh, and, and that'll give us a bit of a different focus going into next week's training. And uh, quite a sh- as you mentioned just before, um, T20 World Cup in India on the horizon, quite a short road to India. So what's the next step along it? Yeah, so we, we've got a real focus over the next couple of months of just really looking at our 50 over cricket because I think as much as it's a World Cup here, we also want to keep our, we don't want to take our off the ball in terms of Cricket World League 2 stuff. So 50 over uh, World Cup qualification is just as important to us for as, as a T20 World Cup would be. So I think it's, it's, it's trying to have a combination of both of those and keep a focus on both. But 50 over focus first up in the beginning uh, part of the year and then and then really shift that focus after our last Cricket World League um, uh, series which which is sort of the back end of July looking going into more of a T20 focus over then so so um, the squad are very much aware of that and and as it stands right now we are looking at our 50 over um, games coming up coming up well looking forward very much to following the journey as usual thanks very much Shane. thank you very much Jake Shane Berger there, and before him, Carl Kutzer, George Munsey, Mark Watt, Safian Sharif, Dylan Budge, Richie Barrington, Craig Wallace, and Michael Leesk. But that's it from us today, Jake. Oh, Rosie, pleasure as always. Really looking forward to the next one. Any uh, any teasers? Yes, I can give you a slight teaser. Um, it's something to do with the new Cricket Scotland initiative. So we will be going more in depth around that, which is very exciting and we've got a special guest uh, on to talk about that well i can't wait for it next monday of course and then we'll be back regularly throughout the season after that but until then thanks to all our guests and to you once again for listening until the next time from rosie and me goodbye